Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the HuffPost Politics Podcast. This week's political news was, of course, dominated by yesterday's vote in the Commons about whether or not UK airstrikes should be extended into Syria to take on Daesh, or the so-called Islamic State. MPs voted 397 to 223 in favour of the motion, but there were some passionate speeches either side saying that either the bombing would make no difference or would actually make things worse. Joining me this week, uh, we have uh, Graham Dominic. Hello, Owen. Hello, Graham. And Mr. Paul War. Hello, Owen. Before we start we, uh, talking about the issues, as they say, um, there was a couple of fantastic speeches yesterday, and the one that's got everyone talking is from the Shadow Foreign Secretary, Hilary Benn, who took to the Labour front bench to say why the bombing campaigns should be extended. As a party, we have always been defined by our internationalism. We believe we have a responsibility one to another. We never have and we never should walk by on the other side of the road. And we are here faced by fascists. Not just their calculated brutality, but their belief that they are superior to every single one of us in this chamber tonight and all of the people that we represent. Graham, you were down yesterday in the Commons while this was going on. Just sort of talk me through the, the arguments in favour of military action yesterday. Well, uh, there's some obvious kind of um, reasons why uh, proponents say we should get involved. Um, the, the biggest one, obviously, that the, the extremists are, are a threat to us, most manifestly in the, the Paris attacks. And Cameron's repeatedly made the point that um, seven terrorist pl- uh, plots have been failed by security services in, in the last year. Um, that's the key one. The second one is the Allies have kind of asked us for their support, France, uh, the US. Um, and then the other argument seems to, st- to revolve around reasons to counter what people might say we, why we shouldn't, shouldn't go in. Um, so, for example, the uh, issues to do with the ground troops are already in Syria. Um, the point about 70,000 troops are, are, is, is made repeatedly. Um, that's to kind of counteract fears that we need to send British ground troops in, which obviously would be highly unpopular in the country given our uh, history of Iraq. Um, and these were, these were just some of the arguments that were, that were put forward um, throughout, throughout the day. It but seemed to me that, the, looking at the debate, the arguments got better as the day went on, because Jeremy Corbyn, who is opposed to the bombing, as we know, when he gave his speech, he wasn't that great from the dispatch box, and it seemed to get a lot better as it went on. I think we've got, yeah. we got a clip now, actually, of Margaret Beckett, who uh, former Foreign Secretary, who spoke, who gave a very good speech, a very widely praised speech from all sides of the House, talking about um, why she was in favour of extending the military action. Would we make ourselves a bigger target for Daesh attack? We are a target. We will remain a target. There's no need to wonder about it. Daesh has told us so and continues to tell us so with every day that passes. We may as well take them not just at their word, but indeed at their deeds. They have sought out our fellow countrymen and women to kill. 
including aid workers and other innocents, and whatever we decide today, there is no doubt that they will do so again. So that was Margaret Beckett there. Paul, what did you make of it? Because it seemed to me that some of the best speeches for the bombing were coming from Labour, and some of the best speeches against the bombing were coming from Tories, which was the opposite of both sides' front yeah. benches. Well, that, I think that's what was most interesting about the debate. You're right. I mean, early on, both David Cameron and Jeremy Corbyn, I have to say, didn't make the speeches of their lives at all. It tended to be backbenchers until the, the Hillary Benn moment right at the end. Now, the reason Benn and Margaret Beckett and also, to a lesser degree, Alan Johnson, really resonated with the people behind them, the Labour benches, because they appealed to Labour's internationalist tradition, the fact that there was a fellow socialist party in Paris, in France, that's calling for our aid. And they went back right back into Labour's history with the UN and helping found the UN. And that had an amazing sort of... It struck a chord with Labour MPs. Um, and Hilary Benn, well, it was such an amazing speech that already within... I think within a few minutes of the speech ending, we all got the emails into our inboxes pinging in, who from? The bookies, slashing his odds on becoming the Labour leader. Um, That's no surprise. It was a lovely footage, wasn't there, as you can see, of Jeremy Corbyn looking up as Hilary Benn's making this great speech and getting applause. I'd love to know what was going through Jeremy Corbyn's mind at that moment. And there was an interesting point. I'd been just been talking to colleagues who had sat through pretty much nine and a half hours of, of debate, and the, the, the point was that can anyone say anything fresh mm. or new mm. or interesting at this point after literally every argument has been rinsed out? And up pops up Hillary Benn, and it wasn't so much the the, the international point was was a, was, a, was a huge one, but it was the it was the whole package of the speech, wasn't it? It was the it was the delivery, it was the tone, it was the mannerisms, it was the oratory. It was it was who he was addressing the argument to his own party as much as as much as the country. So it was a complete speech and surprising at, at that. And it's surprising because hour. Hillary Benn, of course, son of Tony, we all know Tony Benn, fantastic orator, great at doing sound bites before we knew them as sound bites, right? Hillary Benn is not being thought of as that kind of guy. He very much thought as a kind of an administrator. He keeps his head down. Uh, you know, he, he's got, got very different politics to his father, even though they're both Labour. So this. Sort of, it's just are we now seeing him sort of blossoming him into an all-round politician we've never seen before. Uh, very possible. I mean, I've got one anecdote that can make that point exactly. Six, <sighs> six, six years ago, I was sat with Hillary Benn at the Labour Party conference in Brighton, and we were discussing the electrification of the Great Western Main Line to Penzance. <laughs> of course, and you he were. gave a, a a a a a long peroration on why it was important. A long what? Uh, speech, speech, oh, right. long word Peroration. speech. On, on why it was important, uh, why it was significant, and 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 and, and uh, it was it was it was fabulous. And but he that that's where he that's kind of where he was. He was speaking to a regional newspaper journalism journalist about a very <laughs> parochial kind of issue. But he was engaged. He was interested. He felt like he wanted to be there. Did he no get applause at the end? The, I, well, I clapped him. I clapped him. Um, but, that, but that's kind of where he was, and and kind of almost where he's he's been the kind of middle ranking Labour figure. Yeah, but Harry Potter, you know. I mean, he's he's he's, he's been seen as a sort of in, a man full of integrity, but a bit of a plodder. Yeah. Um, however, he's he's scored some hits on the on the Tory government, and then the twenty ten to twenty fifteen. Um, Parliament, there's no question. He was pretty effective on councils on... Because he was shadow local government and community yeah, secretary. He exposed yeah. Eric Pickles over the farce of, you know, the uh, tandoori's in your bin, all that stuff. There was a, a constant stream of FOIs. He was always freedom of information, freedom of information requests put into government to yep. find stats, to find things where things were going wrong in government. very good opposition shadow cabinet minister. And now he's sort of risen to the moment. But as you said, Owen, I mean, 
equally, the case against the war was powerfully made yesterday. We shouldn't forget that. Let's listen to, to one of those people now making the argument, and this is Dr Julian Lewis, who is the chairman of the Defence Select Committee. He's a Conservative. He made a very good speech um, arguing against intervention, and it included, kind of, for me, that the... The, the wonderful soundbite of the, of, the, uh, of the debate. Let's have a listen. Most of the factions which are extremely locally based have no interest whatsoever in being drawn into battles against groups which basically share their sectarian agenda hundreds of miles away in areas with which they're unfamiliar. So, Mr Speaker, instead of having dodgy dossiers, we now have bogus battalions of moderate fighters. It was not dodgy dossiers, bogus battalions, a clear throwback there to the Iraq War of 2003, and also taking apart the notion that there's these 70,000 moderate Syrian rebels who are there, sort of willing to, to sweep in against ISIS with the airstrikes. Paul, did, did that speech make a difference to anyone's vote, do you think? Well, I think it hardened up the opposition uh, amongst some of the, certainly amongst some of the Labour MPs. Don't forget, there was a tiny number of Tories who voted with Julian Lewis. It was seven in the end who voted against. That was a, quite a powerful Tory whipping operation to get those numbers down from about 15. Um, I have to say the best thing about the Julian Lewis intervention was he exposed the weakness and the weakest case that Cameron had last week and has since last Thursday when he first proposed this 70,000 figure. And it amazes me that the Joint Intelligence Committee can repeat the same mistakes that they made, they've made in 2003. You know, they've been, they should have learned the lessons by now of saying things that you can't substantiate. And it was torn apart within minutes and not, not necessarily hours last week. And of course, it was banged home time and again in the debate yesterday that these are a fictitious... Uh, moderate army that actually the government themselves finally kind of admitted it earlier in the week when we had the wonderfully named uh, General Messenger, uh, uh, who's a bit like a Catch-22 character, it sounds like, um, who gave, major, 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 who gave yeah. evidence to the Defence Select Committee where he said, look, there's about 20,000 uh, people we can rely on in the south of the country, 20,000 we can rely on in the north of the country. But beyond that, yeah, within that extra 30,000, there's a spectrum of extremism right there. The whole thing was kind of given away. So basically, we're saying now these 70,000, is this the new 45 minutes? Is, it, is, it, is this the equivalent? Well, it, 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 no, but it, it will be used by, if the bombing, bombing campaign isn't successful, if we continue to be there, it will be the thing that the people uh, who have been critical of, of, of going, in, going into Syria, this is the thing they'll use and say, ah, I told you so, there was no exit plan. We told you there was no ground ground troops. This seventy thousand figure will be the um, the thing that kind of holds that all together. So while it, it it's not as anywhere near as toxic as you know weapons of mass destruction, that that that, that this this could come back to haunt the government. I think, and, and particularly the point about some of these people, this thirty thousand within the seventy thousand being radical Islamists. Even Michael Fallon this week said, "Well, it depends on how you define Islamist." Well, that's not quite the sort of thing you expect from a defence secretary. Um, even he had to admit that there was, again, this spectrum of extremism. And just imagine, as Jeremy Corbyn's people have been saying in great detail, just imagine if we displace IS or ISIL, and in their place come some other Salafists, some other extremists, Isl- Islamists who replace them. Then what's the whole point of this exercise? Speaking of the whole point of the exercise, it was a what, ten and a half hour debate yesterday, was it? Went on, the vote went on to, what, about half past ten? Yeah. Did anybody 
Did any MP, do you think, have their mind changed by anything that was said in the chamber yesterday, or did were their minds already made up? Was this just a complete waste of time? I don't think it was a waste of time, mainly because it was such a contrast to 2003, when it was overwhelmingly, there wasn't a genuine debate. There were a few good speeches against Tony Blair, but most of the speeches repeated the same points. Yesterday, you saw a proper debate. And I think, actually, that um, one of the things that did change people's minds was Hillary Benn for a couple of Labour people, but only a couple. I mean, Stella Creasy went on record instantly saying, having heard Hillary Benn, I'm going to vote for the bombing. But what was really interesting is how few people uh, had already made their minds up. And the Labour whips have told me it was going to be 60 or 70, probably nearly 70, at the weekend. In the end, it ended up at 66. They were bang on. So Hillary Benn's speech didn't sway Labour people towards bombing, but what I think it really did that was important is it gave them a, it gave them a p- permission to be strongly pro-bombing. OK, it, so they could look at it and say, look, the Shadow Foreign Secretary thinks this. I don't have to be sort of hiding a little bit now. I can be saying, look, this, this is the argument. He'd made such a strong moral case. That's what they really wanted. You know, Instead of being on the defensive against the anti-war, the stop-the-war protesters, they could go on the front foot, and that's what was significant about it. But John Barron, um, I think we're going to have a clip from him, We've was, got a little clip from was John very Barron. impressive. Let's listen to, have a listen to uh, John Barron, another Tory MP, speaking against the bombing. Mr Speaker, the short-term effect of British airstrikes will be marginal. I think most people accept that. But as we intervene more, we become more responsible for the events on the ground and lay ourselves open to the unintended consequences of the fog of war. Without a comprehensive strategy, airstrikes will simply reinforce the West's long-term failure in the region generally at a time when there are already too many aircraft chasing too few targets. It was John Barron there, and one of the points he made there was echoed by all the stop the war activity outside Parliament, which there was for, uh, leading up to the vote, or the night of the vote and the night before, which was, look, we've been through this, we've been in the Middle East, we've been bombing, where has it got us? It's just made things worse. That's very much their argument. A lot of people harked back to Tony Benn, who was of, Hillary Benn's father, who was, of course, um, heavily involved with the Stop the War campaign, a former president. Um, and a lot of people, I thought quite unfairly, to be honest, were saying, oh, Tony Benn could see his son now, he'd be ashamed to speak out in favour of war. I mean, everyone sort of channeling the dead is always a bit weird to me anyway. But the idea that Tony Benn would be annoyed that his son's sticking up for what he believes in, I mean, right, that's nonsense, right? Paul, you, you, must have, you, you must have known Tony Benn a little bit. Well, as, as, as Hillary Benn would tell you, what's written on Tony Benn's gravestone is he encouraged us. And his father encouraged people to express their views as coherently and as passionately as possible and on both sides of the debate. So I think all this stuff about Tony Benn spinning in his grave, it's quite, on one level it's very offensive to the man who is his son. Yeah. Um, but uh, on another level, it just doesn't get what, what Tony Benn was about, which was debate, first and foremost. Um, the, the really interesting about uh, John Barron and David Davis and a lot of the other people uh, on the Tory side arguing against war is that they've got military pasts. They've got military connections. They've either been in the armed forces or, they've, in Davis's case, um, SAS territorials. And they were themselves saying, look, the military case does not stack up. And as Graham said earlier, a lot of it is about the exit strategy. What is your exit strategy? Well, you mentioned Tony Benn there, words on his gravestone. I've got some more words on Tony Benn here, and I've also got some words from Margaret Thatcher for this week's quiz, which we're going to call Mr Benn or the Shopkeeper. Apparently that's a reference to an old cartoon which is well before my time. Anyway, I'm sure you a lot out there understand it. Um, now uh, It's on YouTube. I'm it's sure. on YouTube, right? Yeah. So Tony Benn was, of course, a fantastic orator, as was Lady Thatcher. Now, 
Paul Wall might have a slight advantage in this quiz, because when I was looking up Tony Benn quotes on WikiQuote, there was a number there that was cited from Paul Wall himself <laughs> uh, right, in previous okay. incarnations of previous newspapers. So uh, don't just chill out and let Graham will. go. Okay, who said this, Graham? <laughs> I love argument. I love debate. I don't expect anyone just to sit there and agree with me. Was that Mr. Ben or the shopkeeper? daughter, um, Mrs. Thatcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I get, I get, I get, I get it this week. Go on. Is it? Was it the shopkeeper? Is that a Thatcher? That was a Thatcher quote. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, what we lack in government is entrepreneurial ability. These are all to me. These Paul's, are all to you. Paul's, right. Okay. Oh, Paul, uh, can I, I, I don't know that one actually. Go on. Then. I'm, I'm going to go the way you're directing me, and I'm going to guess that was the shopkeeper, Mrs. Thatcher. What'd but what do you reckon, Graham? Uh, yeah, no, I'm going to go for Mr. Ben. It was Mr. Ben, it was yeah. Tony Ben. Really? Everyone forgets that in the 60s he was quite kind yeah, of like yeah, entrepreneurial. He was, he was yeah, very yeah. much. This huge commission building in Brussels in the shape of a cross is absolutely un British. Bloody, oh. Bru- bloody Brussels, eh? Yeah. Um, That's got to be Mr. Ben. Mr. Ben, yeah, the yeah, It was Mr. Ben, Mr. ben the Eurosceptic. Uh, the spirit of envy can destroy, it can never build. That sounds like Thatch, so that must be... The, is that the shopkeeper? I sounds mean, like who? Thatch. Thatch? <laughs> so disrespectful. Sorry, Mrs. Thatch. The shopkeeper's nicer. I'd go for the shopkeeper. It is, that, that was Thatcher. Uh, and the final one, all war represents a failure of diplomacy. Well, can only be there. I actually... I'm going to the counterintuitive. I think this is, Mrs., this is the shopkeeper. I think she would make that point. Graham? Well, for point of difference, I'd say Mr. Ben. It is Mr. Ben. Oh. That's the end of this week's quiz. Beautifully done. Yeah, it's Good difficult one. this week. It's hard to be light this week. It's serious, yeah. serious yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. Uh, that brings us on nicely to uh, Graham's stat of the week. That's the jingle. Right, okay. So I literally haven't seen the stat until now. Cool. So, um... <laughs> That's the sound of him reading it, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Where does it start? It starts after the word stat of the week on the bit of paper. Uh, the 2003 Iraq war saw a rebellion of 139 Labour MPs out of 410. That represented 34%. Last night, although not whipped, 66 Labour MPs voted for bombing out of 231. That's 29%. The conclusion to that is that Corbyn is a better leader than Tony Blair, it says here. <laughs> right. <by Owen>. <laughs> <laughs> there we are, that's so, Graham's stat of the week. Um, we're just going to round it up quickly by talking about where the Labour go from here because th- one of the big talks today um, of the 66 people who voted, Labour MPs who voted for the bombing, the word hanging in the air is deselection. Paul, is this what we're going to see now? Are we going to see all these uh, the new Labour groups like Momentum really targeting these MPs? Well, Jeremy Corbyn and Momentum are both really clear. They're not advocating deselection of MPs. The thing is, most Labour MPs disbelieve them and for this very good reason. It's not deselection that worries them, it's reselection that's caused by boundary review and boundary changes that are coming up this parliament. A lot of people, particularly Stella Creasy, Stella Creasy's seat is going to be carved up. So there's no need for anyone to... That's from Stella, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. sorry. There's no, and there's no reason for anyone to have a deselection when there's already going to be a, 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 de- a reselection of that whole seat. So um, a lot of people in the PLP think it's disingenuous. They also don't think um, Corbyn or Momentum are doing enough to, to stop this drive towards getting rid of MPs with the so-called wrong views. But what is significant here is the backstory. People like John McDonnell, don't forget, he won his seat 
off the back of a deselection of a Labour MP. Now, it was a Labour MP who, was, who went to the SDP in the end. Um, people like John, Ken Livingstone this morning who's already been on LBC saying some things that a lot of MPs loathed, which was, yeah, let's look again at deselection. Ken Livingstone, uh, you're too young to remember this, both of you, but Ken Livingstone won his own seat in Brent East off the back of a deselection of a Labour MP, Reg Friesen. Very bitter, very... Um, acrimonious campaign to get rid of that sitting MP and that was a Labour MP don't forget Reg Friesen he wasn't on the hard right Reg Friesen was a guy who was one of the first Aldermaston marchers um, he was a guy who um, in many ways had, had he set up Searchlight the anti-fascist ma magazine he was one of the early people there so he wasn't on the right but boy was he loathed by people on the left and what's interesting I think is whether or not we could go back to those days of the 1970s and 80s um, the the, the Bile, the acrimony, although social media makes it more, more transparent, they bile on acrimony back then, boy, was it serious. You had people putting literally dog poo through people's doorsteps, lots of aggression, lots of physical intimidation. So although we like to think this is a new thing, it's been around for a while. Well, Corbyn has, has come out and said he wants uh, a, a, sort of a code of conduct for social media to try and clamp down on some of the online bullying. But it's not just social media, because if you listen to what Clive Lewis, the Norwich South MP, said this week ahead of the bombing, he said um, about the people who Labour MPs who have minded to support it, uh, if the war in Syria extends and there are more terrorist atrocities and the war extends with no end, then we'll obviously be looking at who voted for this and when the blame is apportioned, apportioned sorry, step forward. I mean, that is a... A, a, frankly, a bizarre thing to say, a very direct thing to say. If there's terrorist atrocities, we will be looking at the Labour MPs who backed this motion. That is, I think, that's an incredible thing to say. Well, there's been some some pretty terrible language from n not necessarily Labour but Labour MPs, but the but but the left. I stood outside amongst a bit of the protest yesterday, and uh, John Rees from Stop the War Coalition uh, gave a. Uh, I'm not quite sure I've got the words to describe. The inflammatory? Kind of, yeah, I think inflammatory is probably the, probably the, the, the right word. Describing uh, who, whoever would vote against the government as being on a traitor's list. Um, a long diatribe about how uh, these Labour MPs um, who s s sit on their asses for salaries much higher than anyone could, could ever expect. For those of you that couldn't see be. that, because it's radio, Graham just did the, the quote-unquote thing with his fingers I, when he said, sit uh, on their uh, asses. That's an air quote. That's an I, air I, quote, right? I think I paused enough. Um, but the point was, the, 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 this, this language is kind of filtering around, it's filtering on social media, and has, has Jeremy Corbyn kind of not inflamed it, but has it helped by, by the interview he gave on Jeremy Vine, I think you... Yeah. You, you we talked about, he talked about, about diehards no, who no, go for war. No hiding no place. Hiding, yeah. no that was the key phrase that upset some people in the PLP. There'll be no hiding place because this is a free vote. There's nowhere to hide afterwards. On your heads be it, effectively. Now, John Woodcock um, confronted in Portcullis House Clive Lewis about precisely those words that he'd he uttered on the BBC. John Woodcock's a Labour MP. He's very close to the, the, the Blairite tradition of the Labour yes, Party. Yes, and he confronted Lewis and said, look, did you say this? Why did you say this? Lewis said, I think I was quoted out of context, Woodcock presents him with a transcript, so there's a transcript of your words, and then Clive Lewis has dropped the F-bomb. Um, Clive Lewis, to be fair, has said he's apologised for doing that. He overreacted. It's worth mentioning, though, that the, the reason passions are running so high on this is that people do have deeply held beliefs on both sides. What's interesting is whether or not Jeremy Corbyn can contain those passions, because he's the man who does represent a kinder, gentler politics. So I think he's genuine about that. The question is whether or not he can control some of the more extremist bits with, on both sides. 
Well, one of the, the things that's going to see just the, a barometer, if you will, of Jeremy Corbyn's leadership is the Oldham, West and Royton by-election. Voting is taking place today on Thursday. We're expecting the result in the early hours of Friday morning. The intel that I'm getting as a kind of person who's worked close to UKIP, not for UKIP, but I have got a book going on. I have got a book, but I don't like to talk about it. Following Farage. Um, one of the top nine books of the year, according to the Independent. Politics. Sorry, I didn't... Sorry, um, just I went off on one then. Yeah. Anyway, the UKIP are not going to overturn the 14,000 majority there. The Labour are going to hold it, but it's going to be very, very, very tight. And you I seem think, quite definite about that. Yeah, they're, I don't think... I mean, going to hold it? I, I, think, I wouldn't be so certain. I think Labour are going to hold it. I can't see UKIP overturning it. I mean, when tomorrow morning when they do it like a right idiot, right? But I don't think they will. I think Labour are going to hold the seat with a much diminished majority. And I think there will be an inquest into how that campaign was run for Labour. Because Jeremy Corbyn was supposed to go up there a couple... Of, uh, and he didn't recently. He's been up there a few times, but not as much as sort of Farage has from UKIP. Anyway, we'll discuss that next week, I'm sure. Thank you for listening to Commons People, and we'll see you later. Cheers.